Women in Medicine, it's time for another Dr. Me First. This is a podcast with me all about authentic conversations between us, female physicians. Through my conversation with these other amazing female colleagues, I hope to bring you encouragement, inspiration, some hope, and definitely some fun to your life and your practice. So no more feeling alone in medicine because you have now found a community of true speakers, lifesavers, and fierce females who want to support one another. I'm Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, and this is episode number 21. So if you're new to the podcast, just so you know, each guest has to meet two criteria to be on here. They have to be an MD or DO, and they have to pick one word for which our conversation rolls around. So today it's Dr. Kelly Sindinsky, and her word is empower. As always, I think each of these conversations just lends so many pearls of wisdom, and this conversation particularly really touched my heart as um, Dr. Sindinsky is a mother of three. She is a GYN. She's doing a side business. And she talks about her journey when she left medicine for over a year and a half. I hope it touches your heart as much as it touches mine. And after our conversation, make sure you stick around for that little extra kick of encouragement from me. So here we go. Hey, it's Dr. Erin Wiseman here with another episode of Dr. Me First. I've got a really special guest. I'm going to have her introduce herself and tell everybody how absolutely amazing she is. Hello. Um, Thank you so much, Erin, for having me. Um, I have to say this is the first time I've been on a podcast, so totally new to me. I do listen to podcasts. Um, So my name is Kelly Sajinsky. I am um, traditionally trained in obstetrics and gynecology. Now I practice gynecology and just really part-time. I work 18 hours a week in gynecology, office only. I gave up hospital privileges. I stopped taking call and doing all that that was involved with that. And in fact, um, man, I have a middle child who's six, and when he was born, I gave up medicine completely for about a year and a half um, because I just, <laughs> there were several factors that pushed me to make a change. I didn't know what that was going to be or look like, um, and in talking to you, maybe it was burnout, maybe it was a lot of things, um, and during that journey, I also um, began a skincare business. So I do a little bit of that. And I be, and I don't tell many people, I got certified in lactation consulting because I felt like our education, my education was lacking. And I really struggled with that baby when it came to lactation. So that really was done selfishly so that I could figure it out for me. Um, and through that though, I have worked in lactation as well on this side Um, and it gives me an opportunity to still see like mamas and babies again. Um, that's kind of my professional career. I am a mom to three kids. They are eight, six, and four. And so the way I rearrange my life allows me to, um, see them off to school every day and pick them up every day of the week. Although (laughs) sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world. Um, but that, that is um, what I chose and how I chose to rearrange my life. 
That's amazing. You're an absolute badass. You know that. I love talking with you and I love hearing about your story because as we have gotten to know each other, it, oh, it just resonates with me. And congratulations for no longer being a podcast virgin. Woo! Right, right. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So fun. Thank you so much for sharing um, and being vulnerable about your practice of medicine because, you know, that's one thing that I find with so many of us female physicians is almost like a shame. Like if we're not that full FTE, if we're not taking call, if we don't have privileges at every freaking hospital everywhere, or nursing home or hospice, it's like we're not enough. And I'm, I just love that you show your journey with that. And you're like, yeah, it is. Plus I'm a mom because <laughs> Lord knows that's the toughest job out of all the shit that we do. <laughs> right. Oh yes. Kids. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, you know, for people who are perhaps maybe on the beginning of their journey of finding their way to either non-traditional medicine or a non-traditional schedule in medicine, I will say, um, giving up obstetrics and leaving medicine, there was a grieving process. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong that it was an easy road. Like, it was not. And, you know, and sometimes, too, um, you know, I've done a lot of personal development to gain the confidence to actually come back and say, like, these are my boundaries. This is how much I'll work. Um, you know, I the the best part is even though colleagues <laughs> i don't know what colleagues think and um sometimes there's a little of that like giving up of okay well i just can't care what colleagues think but what i found is that patients are really respectful of that when i mm -hmm. tell them you know they'll say oh can i see you on a friday and i will say actually i don't work fridays i'm so sorry i i you know or patients that I've seen forever who are now just um, thinking about becoming pregnant, you know, it, I sometimes feel like I'm disappointing them a little bit that I'm not going to deliver their baby. But at the end of the day, they're really respectful of that. And I think, um, I think that's really good for them to see. Don't you think, uh, going back to that, that it's so much our own mind like making up these stories that when in reality, when you confront them and when you're just open to hear what the other side of the conversation has to say, that that's when you're like, Oh, that was just a thing I made up in my head. You know, like saying with patients, like I can't deliver your baby anymore. I had that same thing in family medicine because I was obstetrically mm -hmm. trained as well. And then after I had my second baby. It was just too much. And I had to give up, you know, pregnant patients in the middle of their pregnancy being like, I, I can't do this anymore. They, they were so supportive. They were some of the most supportive. And occasionally yes. you have those folks who are like, what do you mean? But that's when I remind um, the doctors that I work with, that's more about them. The reaction that they have to your, their news is more about them because they're thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do? And typically, once they get over that, particularly like with colleagues, like when you tell them, hey, I'm not going to work as much or I'm not going to take call anymore, or, you know, that's because the first gut reaction is like, oh, shit, that's going to be more on my plate. But then once they come around and realize it's going to be fine, um, 
then it seems like it's super supportive, but we have to stop telling ourselves these stories or making them bigger or, you know, like escalating them from, you know, one small detail to something huge. And then the other thing I was going to say about like those transition points and changing, they are full of grief. I mean, and you do have to give yourself time and space to mourn like that practice that you have. And mm -hmm. I think it takes, how long do you think it took you to get through that? Um, you know, like I said, I was home for nearly a year and a half before the opportunity to work part-time um, came to me. Um, I would still say, even when I first went back and patients started trickling in who I had seen before, I don't know. I mean, at least a solid year, maybe longer than that. I mean, it's a gradual thing too. The first year was the hardest. Mm -hmm. And I like in that, I mean, also it was the first year having a second new baby, which I think for any new moms out there, it takes about a year or so before you start to feel like um, yourself a little again. glimmer of who you were. Yeah, like yourself again. Yeah. I mean, you'll never be the same, right? Because you added a person into your family. But I think it takes a solid year to see um, some of that come through. And so, yeah, it was at least a year. Yeah, I would say uh, from just my work at, at a minimum. I tell people a year, you're going to have these feelings for a year up to two years is what I've seen is kind of the average somewhere between a year and a half to two years of getting over like anger, getting over <laughs> guilt, getting over grief because you go through all of those stages because it's almost, you almost have to mourn it like a career death at some mm -hmm. point. And that's, I think, what, what scares a lot of people from making transitions and change because that hurt. It, it does hurt so bad. And when you're making those changes, I always tell people that it's like breaking up with somebody like 20 or 30 times a day when you're, when you're transitioning. Because, you know, as doctors, we don't give a two-week notice. We give like 90 days or sometimes six months we have to give notice ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every encounter, because of that doctor-patient relationship, then it does. It feels like a divorce or a breakup every freaking time. Yes, yes. And, um, and then that year of transition, it was a lot of like, oh, shit. Like, what did I do? Like, did I make the right choice? Like, so many times of, you know, and... Um, I mean, now, I, I mean, what did I say? <laughs> I'm a six-year-old now. Now I can say it's good. And even a few years ago, but, um, you know, originally staying at when I stayed home with kids full-time, that was really hard. And I discovered that that was not quite the fit for me either. So, yeah, I have to tell you about the story, how I tried to be a full-time mom for a month and I failed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was a full-time mom for like over a year. And you know what, though? I felt like that's another thing I think, like when I went back to work, like you said, it was close to a year and a half is when I was just getting good at being a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> so like a month, of course, like you weren't good at it. Who no, be? I failed hardcore. It's so hardcore it's on so that. hard. <laughs> And even now when kids are home, I don't know if yours were home over break, but 
like, oh, what are we doing? <laughs> when do you go back to school again? Day long. Yeah, exactly. It is exactly. hard work to be home full time. It is. It is absolutely. But you know, and I think it's not evidently the hard. Um, how do I want to say this? It's if you find your joy and passion in something, the hard isn't isn't as intolerable. You know, just like in doctoring, I feel like there's some things that each of us really flourish in. And yeah, it may be like super hard microvascular surgery. But you know, if that lights your fire, it's it's a different yeah. kind of hard. And so that's where I always encourage people that if it's like a sticky, rough, you know, like pouring your soul out hard that doesn't feel good, then that's not your place. And you need to keep searching for what your place is because it's there. It's somewhere. And, and that's a fear that a lot of people have is that, um, where is my place? Where am I going to find it? What if I never do? But the thing is, you never will if you don't stop searching. And so that's why I just applaud you. And we totally went off on a tangent because we didn't even introduce our word yet that we're talking about. But I'm so glad. I know. Well, our word today is empower. Tell me why you picked this word. Um, you know, through my journey, what I have realized is um, I truly love practicing gynecology. It just needed to be on my terms. But that I, and then, you know, through my side business, the best way to truly empower someone is to help them with the education piece. Like we do a lot of education in medicine. Um, if we have the time, right? But it's the time that it takes to educate someone and then you really empower them to take charge of their own health, right? You're turning it over to them. I found the same thing in my business. Like I need to, or I work on empowering women all the time to see, because I felt really stuck in medicine. And, you know, when I left, there wasn't anyone like you who was coaching people of how to like come out to the other side. It was a lot of stumbling and I could have used someone to empower me with tools to just figure things out. And I feel like through education and just showing someone what I'm doing, I can empower them with education and confidence to, you know, take charge of their life, take charge of their health. Um, with tools, you know, whether that's education or just, hey, um, I'll point you in the right direction or I'll connect you with the right people or I'll just show you what I did. <laughs> right, right. And through um, starting your skincare business, because I know that that was a big instrumental part of you being empowered. What, in what ways were you empowered when you first started that? Um, you know, that took some time. Um, honestly, originally I didn't really, the cool part was I wasn't quite working yet part-time. They sort of happened simultaneously. Um, but I mean, it showed me that I could earn money in another way, <laughs> right? Right. You go through medical school and you think if I don't practice traditionally, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay these student loans? How am I going to contribute to my family financially? And now that I've done one thing, I see there are so many ways to do that. 
But I will say um, through that business, I started to dive into things I didn't know that I would love, like business training, um, getting some business coaching, a 21-day confidence challenge, which I was like, wow, that's interesting. Books I never would have read, you know, you think, gosh, I went to medical school, like you want to learn more. And when you're working full time, you're doing so much education in your specialty that you need to do for CMEs that there's no time or very little time unless you make it a priority to dive into these books about leadership and culture. And, you know, um, another a favorite book of mine was The Go-Giver, just things that will make you a better person, yeah. you know? They don't tell you at the end of medical school, oh, and you should do these things so that you stay like a good person and a better person because I think you assume or people around physicians assume like, gosh, that's a physician. They, they're, they're a good person because they take care of people, you know, right. and that's not necessarily true. If you're not working on yourself you're not really the best version of yourself. And I can say that towards the end of my, before I left medicine, I was becoming a version of myself that was awful. Um, working too much, stressed, you know. Um, and I think OBGYN, you know, that career and the a lot of lack of sleep and the risk, the malpractice risk, like there, it can get to you, the stress and the worry and, um, you're tired. And I can say, like, I have colleagues, like you become na a nasty person <laughs> because years and years of sleep deprivation and all of the pressures of that. Um, you know, it and so I just, it does. Right, it piles Cause I up see and, on people too. It's not just like the physical, cause the physical is huge, but like you said, it's that like cumulative damage of, of fatigue. And it's almost like, I can, I consider it like a soul fatigue, like a spiritual fatigue that I know, and you can probably relate, like you just get to the point that the last thing you want to do when you come home is to read anything because you have been mm -hmm. so through the day, like read a chart, read this, read a fax, you know, read results, read a HMP, like you're just, you're done. And mm -hmm. that was one of my things that I really realized that I was becoming a version of myself that was not me is when I love reading. Like that's, that's my like go-to self-care, one of my huge measures. And it was when I looked at my um, library, like checkout record, I had not checked a book out in 18 months. And I was like, who is this woman? Like I'm the one that like tears up reading challenges. And <laughs> that's when my husband was like, just go get a book. You know, just go find something. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that was me too. You're, that is when I was watching all of the reality TV, the like crap, you know, um, lots of reality TV. Um, and we had full cable because you just want to escape. Yeah. And then, and now I'm like, I, it's rare that we watch TV because at night I would, I would choose like you to read a book or do something. And, and I enjoy a lot of fiction, but 
I never used to read nonfiction for fun because I'm like, I read nonfiction all day at work. Why, why, why would I read a book on leadership? And I just read a bunch of nonfiction stuff. Yeah. So, um, and I, you know, at the time I didn't really recognize that either. Mm -hmm. Um, there were just some big things in life that pushed me to leave medicine and looking back in hindsight, I can be like, Oh, it was this and it was this and it was Mm -hmm. this, it was multifactorial and, um, you know, that's where I work to really empower physicians for self-awareness. Because that is one of the worst things. We're very aware of disease states within our patients. We're very aware of problems within our healthcare system. We're very aware of, of, you know, like our direct daily interactions. But we are so blind to our own self-awareness. Just like what we're talking about. Like, there's other things that I bring up with, with physicians. Like, well, you know, think 5, 10, 15 years ago. What did you do for fun? And they'll give me an activity or something like that. And I'm like, okay, when was the last time you did that? And you know, a lot of people have to stop and think like, um, well, I don't know. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you giving that up? Where is your awareness that this was something significant in your life that you no longer have? Or I see that people are aware and then they're trying to like shove it into small pockets of time, but then it's not even fruitful. Because then it's just a task. It's just another, like, oh, God, do self-care. Check it off the list. When they're not finding (laughs) energy or they're not getting any love from it. Um, Because, you know, that's what we are. We're type A. We're like, oh, we got to exercise. Okay, so I have an exercise a week, so I better go run eight miles instead of just two miles like I normally (laughs) would do. And we, like, cause ourselves to suffer in our our hobbies and our passions that we love because we've got to check it off the, you know, the list. And so that's right. one thing that I try to empower people to do is just start to get awareness. I did a really cool yeah. activity recently with some residents and I made them tell me, I'm like, okay, so we're going to do awareness exercise, but it's going to be different. We're not going to meditate. We're not going to yoga. Tell me what it feels like. <laughs> tell me what your bladder feels like right now. And they're like, what? I'm like, tell me what <laughs> your bladder feels like right now. Think about super pubic region. What does your bladder feel like right now? <laughs> and like so many of them, it seriously took like 45 seconds for people to tune into their bodies and be like, I got to pee. And you know, so then I <laughs> them all to the bathroom because right. think of how many times that we like suppress that urge to go to the bathroom, to go urinate. Oh. I mean, I personally know my bladder can hold about a liter because I measured it one day just to see exactly how full it was before <laughs> I was ready to pee my pants. That is so unhealthy. And I'm like, guys, these are simple body, you know, urges, their reactions that we are so, oh my gosh, we're so, so much gunners that we just suppress them and suppress them and suppress them. So then they all went pee. So everybody who's listening right now, think about what your bladder feels like. Yeah, right. Well, when you said that, that. I'm like, what does mine feel like? But before we got on, I was like, I should go. (laughs) Water. But then the other thing I told people yeah. is, what is your stimulation for hunger? You know, what is that to you? And so many of us in medicine, we don't even know. We know we feel bad. And we then we think back to like a time. When was the last time we ate? But we don't naturally cue into those cues. Like for me personally, it's a frontal headache. That's my hunger signal. 
And so that's the other thing too, is like when I'm getting a headache, I'm like, am I hungry? Do I need to drink something or am I stressed? Because that's also the same place that I feel like tension and stress. And it wasn't until I started doing these own self-awareness exercises that I'm like, oh my gosh, my body tells me a lot of things and we never even learned all that. But yet we expect patients, you know, like when we're questioning them and you probably know this with like pelvic pain, like people just say, oh, it hurts down here and they can't really be specific. And we're the same damn way. Right, right. Oh yeah, that's so funny that you say that. And I was like, gosh, if you're getting a headache, that sounds like a late cue. Like you were hungry before that. Just like, so in lactation, like crying is a late hunger cue. Like babies will, well, you know, bring their hand to their mouth and just rub their face around. Like by the time they're crying, they're past hungry. So by the time you get that headache. Exactly. Past the point of thirst. That's a crying infant. That's like, give me the breast. Come on. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. That's really funny that you say that because it took me a long time to also realize, like I start to get irritable, like it's true hangry, like I'm the true hangry person. So when I came back to work and um, went, um, I came full circle and went back to my original practice where I'm a partner now, there was an interim practice, but I said, I must eat lunch. Like I cannot go without lunch because I would seriously get Work through like, lunch. Yeah. Irritable. Right. And I'd be irritable and bitchy with patients. Like if I don't eat, I'm not going to serve my patients well. I'm going to sit there thinking about how I'm not eating and angry. Right. Right. <laughs> so I know that sounds like, I don't know, hopefully that just sounds human. You know, it's like, gosh, we got to let doctors be human. Yeah. Um, And we have to know enough about ourselves so then we can advocate for it. You know, and because the thing is, once you get to hangry point, you just ready to (laughs) chew somebody's arm off. You don't want to negotiate a lunch hour. (laughs) You just want to feed yourself. And the same thing for us too. Like, why should we wait until we are utterly crispy with burnout to start advocating for changes if we could all earlier have learned some, some awareness techniques to say, this is not working, but I'm in a good enough mental facility that here's a solution that may work for me. But we, it all first goes back to that awareness. So I would, I really work hard right now to empower people to understand what they need so that then Mm -hmm. they can ask for it. And so that then they can change their life before it it goes into the deep, dark dungeon of hell of burnout. Or even if they're in the deep, dark dungeon, the darkest place, that they know that they have a survivor with them to say, okay, let's see how we're feeling right now and let's move forward in this. Because there's another place like you you can waller in that for a while and that feels horrible. And there's a lot of people who leave medicine or who are thinking about making changes because they just know it doesn't feel good and they don't know Mm -hmm. how to feel better. Right. And I think, you know, the arena right now, well, always, it's hard to advocate for yourself no matter who you are, right? whether you're a doctor or a patient or, um, yes, I think what you're doing is fantastic that you're empowering other physicians to advocate for themselves because so many don't, you know, and it takes like 
years into practice, if at all, to learn how to do that. Exactly. It's like what we tell, like you're lactating moms, like you're the mom, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. speak up for your baby if something's not going right. Like, why don't we just take our own advice sometimes? (laughs) I told my husband, he's all about this. Sometimes I'll get complaining. He's like, why don't you go read that blog from a couple of weeks ago? Because I think you need that right now. Like, tell me. You're like, dang it. Damn it. My own damn words. He's getting me with them. Right. But it's, right. it is, is so important as far as with that. Well, any last like finishing words to empower our listeners today? Man. You know, um, I'm reading a new book. And, um, you know, I would just say, no matter where you are in this medicine journey, whether you love traditional medicine or, I mean, really for the people who are looking to change, it's just can be overwhelming and you just have to take one step in the right direction and change one thing. I mean, you don't have to do what I did and like, boom, have a baby. That's your last day. And that's it. You can work yourself towards something else, but it, it's a matter of doing one thing to start changing that trajectory. Um, and it's funny, the book talks about motivation um, and I don't know, some, somebody who said, just do it, do it anyway, before it was coined by Nike. And they suggest... Um, you know, all those things that you don't feel like feeling right now, um, the longer you put it off, the less likely it is that you will actually do it. And so he started out by um, saying, do it now every morning and every night. They suggested saying that 50 times. (laughs) Can you imagine waking up and saying, do it now 50 times in the morning? I'm like, well, I can say it to myself several times in the morning. I don't know that I'll get to 50 with three kids running around um, and at night, but it is like, you know, it's hard to get motivated. And sometimes you just need a phrase like, you know, do it now or the five second rule to motivate you to just do the one thing, send the one email, you know, ask for the raise, ask for the extra time off, ask for, you know, a half day at work, whatever it takes. Um, just the one step is absolutely. It's huge. Can be very empowering. Absolutely, because then you know the world doesn't fall out from under you when you do that one thing, and then it yeah it emboldens you to do the next one thing. So that's awesome. Well, if our listeners want to get a hold of you or hear more about your story or your skincare products, what's the best way for them to find you? So, um, the best way right now to connect would just be to follow or friend me on Facebook um, or Instagram. So on Facebook, um, it's just my name as it is. My first name is Kelly K E L L Y. And my last name is really long and crazy. That's okay. We'll put it in the show notes for you. Yeah. Yes. And then I think it's really similar on Instagram, but I think it's just K Sajinsky RF. Okay. Um, but I'm sure if you search, you know, it's a public account. It's not 
Good. Well, we'll direct you their way. And as always, guys, thank you so much for joining us. And we can't wait to come back and talk with you more. So are you empowered now after hearing that conversation? I certainly hope so. And my kick of encouragement today is actually a, um, I guess you would call it like a mini ebook that I wrote exactly talking about the points that we ended on about um, advocating for yourself, asking for that one thing and being empowered. So it is titled Asking for What You Need at Work, A Guide to Challenging Conversations. You're feeling burned out, tired, frazzled, empty, unable to give any more to your patients, your colleagues, your family, yourself. Something's got to give or you're going to give out because this isn't working. You've done the brave work of looking inside of yourself for the answers for what you need in order to keep going, but the answers that come feel really scary. You know exactly what you need. You need to go part-time. You need to have a lighter patient load. You need fewer on-call shifts. You need to fire your MA, confront a partner about inappropriate behavior, or hire a scribe. You need to be paid the same amount as your, your other colleagues. You need compensation for the extra work that you're doing, or you need to change your contract. First of all, let me celebrate you for listening to this podcast and thinking about what you really need. It's a challenge to stand up and say, this is not working for me. So now what we're going to do is work this together through this, through these steps that I present to you. So step one, pre-work. This is when you get really clear on what you need. First step in this is know your non-negotiables. These are the things that you absolutely must have or must change in order to stay in the position you're in. You will not compromise on these. Really spend some time honing in on what your non-negotiables are because you need to be as specific as possible. You also need to understand why these things are not negotiable to you because being able to communicate why you need these changes will help those you're asking be able to comprehend the full purpose and therefore be more likely to help make the changes. Again, making harsh demands will not get you anywhere fast. Going in with this open, but you need to be solid on your non-negotiables. Examples of some non-negotiables of things that um, you must have or must change would be like things in your contract, it could be schedules, it could be start times, it could be end times to your days, it could be an increase or change in your pay or salary. Um, those are things that you need to know that these absolutely must change or we are splitting terms. And again, you do not have to be harsh um, you just have to know why, why these are important so that you can communicate that to the people who can make the changes. Okay, step number two. These, this part in your pre-work is um, knowing your areas of compromise. So these are things that you want to start or stop doing, but you're willing to be more flexible on it. So the non-negotiables are things that must change, must quit, must start, whatever. This area, the area of compromise, are things that you would like to see change, but you're a little bit more flexible on the how and what that looks like. They might include like flex hours, leaving the office at different times one day, but staying a little bit longer other days. Um, maybe you're asking for a certain amount of vacation days and you're not real firm on the number. You'd be willing to compromise on that. And the third pre-work 
in whenever you're doing any kind of negotiation is to add in the nice to haves. So those are the little perks and extras that would make your job go from good to excellent. And so you throw these in on the onset, knowing that you would be willing to drop those as part of the negotiation. Because if you do not ask, you will never receive. And so it's really important to include the nice to haves again as part of the negotiation tool so that when it comes down to negotiation and you're pulling things off or the person you're negotiating with says we can't do that, that gives you a little bit more flexibility um, when they start pushing on your non-negotiables. And so the other tip on this, tip number four is the people that you're negotiating with, they do not need to understand the, the different areas of your list. You should bring your non-negotiables, your um, areas of compromise, your change, but areas of compromise, and your nice-to-haves all on the same list, not divided up, so that they know this is the whole package that you're bringing as far as what you're asking. Some people's list might be like 100 items. Other people, it may be like five things. So it's really important that you understand what your non-negotiables are, your changes that you're willing to compromise on and your nice-to-haves. But that is information that you do not need to give to the other side. Because if they want to keep you as an employee, they should be working to satisfy that whole list. Um, and in other words, you don't need to give away your power when they're like, oh, this is not important to you, so we're taking it away. So those are my first top four tips to start asking for what you need at work. If you want the rest of the tips and there's seven more to go, then I will put a link in the show notes where you can go get that PDF and look at it more. And if you have questions, of course, message or email me on those because I think this is a really great list. I've started using it myself. I give it to all my clients and I think it's a really easy streamlined way um, to start going into these type of meetings, advocating for yourself and asking for what you need at work. Well, that's number episode 21 in the books. I want to thank Dr. Kelly so much for coming on the show and for just telling us her heart and sharing her story. I want to thank my family, my podcast producer, Jen, and everyone that has helped me with this. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you so much for making this a huge success. Nowhere did I think almost a year ago when I came up with the idea of having a podcast where I only strictly talk to female physicians did I think it was going to fly. And it absolutely has. It is soaring. You guys are wonderful. This has been the most fun and it is because we are talking real life and taking care of real life situations so thank you thank you thank you for listening i still have a few spots open for the mastermind course so again if you're a female physician and you're doing something in business and you're tired of being a department of one and not being able to figure things out or feeling a little tentative about asking colleagues um you know, and exposing what you're trying to do in your business and um, you know you need help or maybe a critical eye looking at it, but you just don't know who to trust and open up to, this would be a great group for you. So the link in the show notes, the application is there. I dare you to fill it out and I guarantee it's going to be an amazing and great time if you do. Again, check out the show notes. 
All the transcriptions are on my website, truthrxs.com. And as always, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. <laughs>